Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. They ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now go with me to chapter 14, verse 23. Paul, Barnabas, go out to the area of Galatia and plant four or five, possibly even six churches, despite the opposition. We'll look at some of that tonight. And now as they make their way back to Antioch, Look what it says in verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church. Now, I understand mission work. We were missionaries uh, for many years. And a lot of what happens or takes place in foreign countries is not biblical missions. I believe in water purification systems, and I believe in digging wells, and I believe in starting orphanages. And opening schools. But biblical missions is based on church planning. How many understand that? We see here the emphasis of Paul and Barnabas in planning churches. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slave men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait, they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I want to speak this morning on the subject of the local church, the importance of the local church, God's plan for our lives involves the local church. And uh, I am thankful for those that get in. You can see the excitement, the enthusiasm. And I get nervous with time for those that may have once had great excitement, lose their excitement I believe the love for the local church is all based on our love for God. It's not about a building or a gymnasium, a coffee shop, a ball team, a sporting league that's supported by the church. There's so many things now that the local church is trying to do to entertain people into staying faithful and excited about God's work. The fire is only lit and the passion is only sustained through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times uh, a year I have pastors and missionaries tell me, 
It's not an issue with the new converts. They're excited. They're passionate. It's those that should have sustained a love for the local church that are no longer involved, no longer interested, no longer passionate. Amen. And when our passion for the local church wanes, it's because our passion and love for God has waned. And I'll, I'll tell you, church, uh, I got saved as a young child. I was practically born and raised in church my whole life. Almost every day of my life has been spent in God's house. My first swimming lessons were in a church baptistry. I have slept through many of services, not as an adult, but as a young child. But if, if there's any place that I learned to love, it's God's house and having planted churches and pastored churches and spend most of my time in church. My passion is not waning. It's only growing my love for this place. We're not talking about a building, but God's people. We understand this about God's family not a building, and although we get accustomed to a location and a site and a building, at the end of the day, you don't want to get nostalgic over a piece of property, and here's what churches are doing. They're building enormous complexes to help people get excited and nostalgic. This book and the commands of this book ought to get you excited, and when Paul was starting, here go Paul and Barnabas, sent out by the church at Antioch, and their journey just... I get motion sick. I cannot imagine just their journey to Cyprus. Uh, I would have tapped out on that boat ride and said, I'm not cut out to be a missionary. I thank God when we were called to be missionaries, we took a flight. It seemed long at the time. We spent about 13 hours traveling, showed up to the master's house. They picked us up. And uh, thank God for modern transportation. And the first thing they did when we got there was informed us about how when they went to the field... Uh, they went by boat. And I don't remember if they said one month or two, a month, 30 days of travel on a ship to get to Argentina. And I said, thank God for a day's worth of travel. No wagons, no horses, no boats, no ships, uh, modern planes, conveniences and comforts. But here they go. And when they reach Antioch, Pisidia and uh, Lycodium in those regions, their whole purpose is not just to win souls, but to plant local churches. And church, here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to remind you, I don't, I don't think we preach enough on the subject. If it's once a year, twice a year, that's certainly not enough about the importance of the local church. Because here's what we do in life. We, we tend to form our agenda, our likes, our dislikes, elevate our opinions and talk about the busyness of life and use all of that as an excuse to distance or detach or only involve ourselves. Our selfishness runs so deep that if the church is doing something that's not catering to my like, my whim, I don't think I'll participate in that. Now, can you imagine the local church that Paul's starting and he's inviting someone down to the local church? Well, tell me about the Sunday school program. We don't have one. So tell me about the junior church. We don't have that either. Well, tell me about the nursery. We don't have a nursery either. Well, what about the music? You at least have a piano, an electric guitar, a drum set, a, a praise team. You, you got some good special music, right? We don't have any of that. 
Could I be a member of the choir? We, don't, we haven't established a choir. Tell me about the size of your parking lot. Can I park close to the front door? Do you have a shuttle that'll get me to the front door? No, we don't, we don't have any of that either. Do you have a bus route to offer a ride? Do you have a speaker system? If I sit too far away, I can still hear what's being said. No, we don't have any of that. Matter of fact, for now, we're just meeting out in the open air until God provides us a house or a place to meet. I wonder how many show up this morning if they found themselves in the conditions of the churches that Paul was starting and saying, we've been run out of the synagogue and the town doesn't like us, but we want you to meet with us outdoors for a little while and in this house for a little while and rumors spreading that a new cult has been started in town and the cult leader named Paul. And today's Christianity... Boy, if it's not nice enough or warm enough or comfortable enough and the coffee's not hot enough, if it's, if it's the wrong blend or the wrong brand, I'm not going back to that church. Church is 10 minutes longer than we liked if the music doesn't cater to our style. Can you imagine a poor music director if he was trying to cater to each preferred style of each member? It's not about a biblical basis or a doctrinal basis. It's about taste. I don't like that song, and I don't enjoy that trio, and I never uh, did like men's quartets, and I, I can't believe they use that pianist over the other pianist. And it is incredible the demands of people in order to, I've got to find a place that makes me comfortable. Stay home. Keep your flesh pot at home. Amen. Churches need people spiritual enough, selfless enough, that are not going uh, with the demand of being blessed and catered to based on their opinions, but rather on being built up and edified according to the word of God. And Christ, boy, if we would just emphasize and prioritize the local church like Christ did, Christ comes to this earth, his whole purpose, not just the salvation of souls. The Bible says he shed his blood for the church. And Christ looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, not Peter, that's Catholic philosophy. Peter's confession that Christ was the son of the living God. And upon this rock, Jesus Christ, he said, I will build my church if he came to build his church, we ought to prioritize it like he did. Then he commissioned 12 men, sent them out to build his church. The question is, do you share that philosophy? Look at the exaltation of Christ in the local church. Look what it says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's how exalted the Lord Jesus Christ is. He has put him, put all things under his feet. Gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his. When we deprioritize the local church, we are minimizing that which he exalted, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, some people share more of Satan's philosophy than they share of God's philosophy. God 
his exalted uh, Christ Jesus as the head of the church and emphasizes everything about the local church and Satan does everything to attack the church. Here's why in Ephesians 6, 12, we have these words. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you better understand that Satan hates the church. And he's out to destroy the church. Say, Pastor, that can't happen. It certainly can. Oh, Pastor, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We understand the body of Christ. The church is a whole over the age. It's going to withstand the attack of Satan. The local churches, how many have been devastated and destroyed and closed their doors and uh, seen their membership scattered and uh, pastors falling to sin, all kinds of problems because Satan is constantly out to attack and destroy uh, the local church. He does it, look what it says in Ephesians 4, 1. He does it through division. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. With all what? Oh, here's what our society is telling you. Your opinion matters. So you, you need to make sure your opinion is heard and that, that you have a loud voice and God's word says the opposite. Lowliness and meekness and long-suffering. These are attributes that we ought to see in the local church for bearing one another in uh, love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know what Satan wants to do? You know how he's destroyed a lot of churches? Cause division. It's always over things that are very important. Like the lighting in the auditorium. I don't know why we spent all that money on dominoes. You actually didn't spend a dime on those dominoes. So I wouldn't worry about it. Well, you know, I, I love the mirrors in the, the floor here. I can't believe they dropped the chandelier. Always incredible division. It's never over uh, pure doctrine. It's never overreached the world. It's over something. Uh, Satan gets his foot in the door and disturbs us over something that we personally didn't like. And uh, look what it says in Ephesians 4.14. Another way Satan gets his foot in the door messes up churches. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every what? Wind of doctrine by the slave of men, cunning craftiness. You better be careful. Satan comes with cunning craftiness, whereby there are men that infiltrate churches with what purpose? They lie in way to deceive. That's why you better have a confrontational pastor. You, you better have some kind of leadership in a church over the past uh, 30 years of ministry. Occasionally we've had people come through uh, with false doctrine thinking they were going to change the church. But you have a pastor who's not afraid of confrontation. Sometimes he wakes up in the morning uh, with a passive wife and uh, obedient children and uh, it looks for a werewolf to kick in the seat of the pants because he's too bored to live a day without a fight. That, that's okay. We, we live in a culture that's 
taught our men to drink soy milk and uh, uh, dress like women and talk like women and act like women and uh, wake up effeminate, go to bed effeminate. I know that, that, that shatters what culture has taught you. Men have been men for a long time. I thank God I grew up in a generation where men were men and women were too. <laughs> Amen? It was just a breed of toughness. And I'm not talking about obnoxiousness. But if you're not aware of Satan's purpose in the church to bring in false doctrine that occasionally has to be confronted in a very loving and general manner with a seat kicked by a steel-toed boot. You can be okay with that or not okay with that, but any church is in danger when false doctrine is tolerated, overlooked, or ignored. Amen. Amen. For verse 22, there's another way Satan attacks the local church. That's through sin that you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on what? The new man, which after God is created in righteousness. And you know what church is supposed to be full of? Righteousness. And holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor. Look what it says. For we are members one uh, of another. What does say? Satan is going to do his best to bring sin in and uh, regrettably uh, pastoring two churches. When you have uh, 600 people uh, that, and people being reached, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's natural. For, for people to say, well, other churches, we live together. and It's not an issue. Uh, young people say, we're not going to get married. We're just going to move in together. And everybody ought to be okay with that. This is a generation where homosexuality is being not just overlooked, but now accepted behavior among membership. And when a pastor has to step up or step in and say, no, we can't overlook that kind of behavior, people are disturbed, especially if it's a friend or a family member. How many understand Satan will destroy a local church by getting leadership to overlook sin in the congregation? I believe leadership ought to be appropriate. I believe ought to be careful and prayerful in the way sin is handled. But there is no way for any church to survive leadership that overlooks sin in the congregation. Sometimes they attacks just through apathy. Absence of participation. You ought to get connected. You ought to be invested. You ought to be committed and involved in a local church. You know what God's plan is for every born child of God? To be an active, participating member of a local church. Amen. Now, let's quickly mention four things. A church is a place for you to excel in your spiritual gifts. Look what it says, chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some 
pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now let me ask you this, church. Who does that? Who qualifies? Who equips? Who calls? Who gives those gifts? You thank God that he has given us spiritual gifts, personalities, talents, that we're not going to get supposed to confuse those, and I'm not preaching this morning on spiritual gifts, but we understand we are a team. We work together. Some of the Dallas Cowboy fans here lately were disappointed that their team lost, but early in the game, they had an important player running back that got hurt, and everybody else looked bad trying to carry the weight of a star that became absent because of injury. And the team lost, and people clamored and complained because someone was absent. And guess what happens in the local church? People begin to think, I'm not important. My presence isn't important. My conduct isn't important. My participation is not important. And guess what? You are important. And uh, brother, it, it, you say, Pastor, I got 10 fingers, so if I lose a couple of those, not a big deal. As soon as you lose a couple, you realize it is a big deal. God gave you 10 because you need all 10. We have a friend, pastor in Dallas, Brother Bob Smith, man of God, preached here. Uh, last time he preached here, we had 18 people on a Sunday morning walk the aisle and trust Christ as their Savior. Incredible man of God, great testimony, and great church. But a couple years ago, uh, he loves to work and, and uh, work with wood. Uh, he's a pastor. Uh, that's his purpose and his trade. But he's a carpenter on the side. And uh, uh, he was pushing some wood through a saw. And it, it jumped and leapt out of his hand. Next thing you know, uh, he cut off the fingers on uh, this hand. Now, he laughs about it, but his life has changed drastically. You learn to uh, do things very differently when it comes to eating and putting on your clothes when you're missing your fingers on a hand. And say, Pastor, what's the big deal with that? We have church members vital to the growth of this church body who have become detached absentees, once participants. Now you couldn't find them with the help of the FBI. Oh, they'll show up, but function? Totally non-functional. Not participants in soul winning, not participants in any ministry, not even a participant in helping, building up, encouraging uh, And usually, here's what happens when, when a uh, member of the body is not functional, it becomes toxic for that body. God wants you to excel in your local church, and it's a place where you can make a difference. I can't imagine living without the local church. Now, when we consider the life and the impact of Paul, you know what it was all through and because of? The local church. We talk about the church at... Ephesus, when the church at Galatia, the church at Corinth, and the, uh, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Derby, and the church at 
Lystra. We talk about all these churches that were planted, but his impact and his leadership, it was all because he had started, invested in, grew, and trained men and left leaders in these local churches. I can't imagine a life without a local church. I actually pity saved people who don't understand God's purpose for your life is fulfilled through the local church. I can't imagine all of Joe's musical talent without a local church. What would be the purpose? What are you going to do with all that talent? How are you going to use it for the honor and the glory of God without a local church body? What about the gift to teach? What about, what about a van? What is the purpose of a 15-passenger van without a local church? Right. You can use it to bring people and take them to conferences and pick up kids and praise God for everything that the local church provides a purpose for. Folks, I, I can't imagine, I'm, I'm 51 years old. It, the past 30 years of ministry, what would I be investing my life in? What would I be investing my time in? What would I be investing my money in if it were not for the local church? I was talking to Brother Collier about uh, his call to preach, my call to preach. And as a young man, my timidity and uh, the first time I preached the embarrassment of, of making a congregation suffer through that and making myself suffer through that. But I look back and say, thank God, because I don't know what I would have done with the past three decades had it not been for local churches and God's calling to plant local churches and his design purpose to be involved in local churches and for the average church member who does not understand God's purpose for his life. It's about survival. It's about retirement. It's about a truck or a car or a house or a neighborhood, a watch or a ring or a coffee table. I actually pity the person who has no greater purpose in life than that. God has a place for you. He wants you to fulfill your purpose, and the church provides you an opportunity. I can't even imagine uh, reaching the lost without a local church. I mean, you have tracks, you have soul winning teams, you have bus routes, you have a Spanish church, you have ministries and a place to bring them and discipleship booklets that are offered. Can you imagine? And the only reason it was facilitated for Paul, he had none of that, but he was starting all of that. And then it provides you the people to minister to. But it's not just a place for you to excel in your, using your spiritual gifts. It's a place for you to excel in your spiritual growth. Look what it says in verse 13. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Till we all come in unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and a perfect man. You know, God wants us to be perfect. Well, God doesn't demand perfection. Yes, he does. Not perfection the way we think or understand, but completeness, wholeness, continued spiritual growth. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may do what? Grow up into him in all things. 
This is supposed to be a place that helps me get focused on God. Let me ask you this. When you're out there in the world and you have all of life's responsibilities and problems and stress and pressure, how much of your focus is on God? You know what Wednesday night's about? Getting you to refocus on God. And the world takes your focus and puts it everywhere else on the things of this world and the things of this life and the problems And then Sunday, you know what we do? We regather and do what? Refocus on God. Let me ask you this. If you were an Old Testament saint, how great would your focus be on God? If you didn't have a church body, if you didn't have church leadership, if you didn't have a complete Bible, if you didn't have godly friends, if you didn't have what your local church provides you, how great would your focus be on the spiritual? How involved would you be in reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you didn't have a church with evangelism, if you didn't have a church with a missions program, How great would your involvement in missions be? Amen, preacher. It helps us excel in our spiritual growth. It's a place of spiritual teaching. Now, here's the truth. I'm just going to be honest with you. The average Christian is not in his Bible reading enough or studying enough to ever be truly grounded in Bible doctrine if it were not for the church. Every ministry provides a a different level of spiritual instruction from Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible college, Christian education, all the rest. Every ministry of this church is stacking Bible knowledge and Bible teaching. And I thank God that you bought your child a Bible storybook. And I thank God that you have tapes. And I thank God that you went online and found the right preacher and included some additional preaching. But at the end of the day, without the local church... We would be spiritual kindergartners. This fortifies my faith because here's what happens. Under the, the attacks that we face every single day out there in the world, how many of you ever come into church weakened in your faith Sunday morning? And you should leave Sunday night strengthened in your faith only to be weakened again throughout the week and strengthened again throughout the weekend. That is the purpose. God in wisdom does that. He's built... How many of you have had your marriages built through the local church? How many of you have ever had uh, your personal life? I mean, you went... What you were before salvation has drastically changed. And I know you were drastically changed at the moment you got born again. But you know what the church did? Helped speed up that process over a period, an extended period of time. Where would you be spiritually without the local church? Amen. Look, when I go to 1 Corinthians 16, the church is a place for us to excel in our spiritual giving. Let me ask you this. How many believe that God wants you to be a generous Christian. I believe we're supposed to be generous. I I believe that we're supposed to be givers. That's a spiritual characteristic, a spiritual quality that's supposed to be found in every believer. Look what it says 
chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you... How many of you know what every one of you means in the Greek? Because sometimes we've got to go back to the Greek to decipher the confusing statements and words in the Word of God. Amen? Terminology can be confusing. Let every one of you... Some have misunderstood that. They thought they were the exception. Lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whosoever ye shall prove by your letters... Then why said to bring you liberal, liberality unto what? Jerusalem. He said, I want, I want everyone to be a participant. Now, imagine this. We're commanded to be generous, but we don't have a local church body where we can direct that generosity. You know what the local church does? Local church is about helping people. Local church is about reaching the world. The local church is about investing in others. But without a church body, how would you do that? How can I give back to God without a local church? How can I reach the world and show generosity? What am I going to have to do? You're going to have to get on a plane and travel to a foreign country and locate a right church and a pastor and a missionary. It would be all kinds of confusion. What you want to do, make sure you're in a local church that's properly directing those funds. Amen. This is a generation that spends, a generation of local church spend the majority of their income on buildings and facilities. What a waste. Pastor, I believe our building is too small. Fill up that empty seat beside you. Say, Pastor, that's cheating. It's people are spread all over. Sunday night, we don't fit. I have still seen occasional random empty seats on Sunday nights. Why should we look for another building if there's one empty seat? In the overflow room, the balcony, or the foyer, why should we even consider? Pastor, we have a small parking lot. Oh, no, our parking lot ex- extends. And Some people say, have you seen the size of our parking lot? We have room for 200 cars. Well, you should see the extent of our parking lot. We go four or five blocks out. <laughs> It's incredible. Amen. Church, here's what we got to understand. God has provided us a local church so we can help a brother, so we can help uh, a child get to youth camp, so we can help invest in kids that don't have parents to bring them to church and uh, buy vans and gas for those vans and treat for those kids so they can get to God's house. How in the world could we reach people all across Asia and Africa and South America, without a local church through which to channel those funds and that generosity. Now look at the last thing we're done. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Church is a place for us to excel in glorifying God. Now I know, I know, this is the generation that says, well, I can worship God out there beside the lake. I don't know even how to respond to that level of stupidity. It just, it leaves me speechless. I'm a hunter. I'm an outdoorsman. Brother Ryan, this is a man that likes to take his kids hiking across 
mountains and rivers and valleys. I'm not talking about your kind of hike. A couple years ago when we had that snow and freeze and it was blowing snow and for Texans we shut ourselves up in caves. We locked the door. We hibernate, turn on the heaters when that kind of weather hits us. Not Ryan. I was driving down Slaughter and I saw a man in a parka with a line of kids walking behind him. I literally, listen folks, I'm telling you, God's honest truth, I literally said the only man in Austin that would even do that is Ryan Johnson. (laughs) And I managed to get my car that was swerving all over the road up to him. I said, Ryan! And a man in a park had turned, and it was him (laughs) with his little Eskimos. I said, you need a ride? He said, no way, Jose, we're taking a hike. I said, Ryan, it's 25 degrees out with snow and ice. He said, we're only going up here to H-E-B. It's not even a mile away. That's a man on a mission, amen? Amen. Ryan, you're an outdoorsman. You know what we think about when we're outdoors? Occasionally we say, thank you, God, for the beauty that you made. But you know what we normally say? Where's the deer? We're not thinking about the glory of God and his honor. You know what church does? God has put everything in your favor to get your mind focused on his glory, and we still struggle. We're here for an hour and a half, and how much of your mind is actually focused during that time on the glory of God? Some of you have been thinking about lunch for the last 15 minutes. Some of you think, you're sitting here thinking about who in the church can I convince after the service to come and cut those trees and get them off my property? Some of you sitting here saying, I've been without electricity all week. It's nice to sit in a good, warm place. Some of you thinking, thank God my electricity came on yesterday and I had a chance to put in my blow dryer and get fixed up and actually iron my clothes this morning in time to get to church. But how many of us actually come in? It's, it's prefabricated. From the music, the hymn books, the special music, and the service, everything is to get us focused on His glory and make sure that we are glorifying Him. And if church in a church setting really can't do that for us, you tell me how much of your week is literally spent on the honor and the glory of God. Our best moment in his honor and glory, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to praise God. And five minutes later, you're checking your texts, you're reading your emails, you're remembering what you're supposed to do at work, you're listening to the kids scream. Unto him, chapter 3, verse 21, what's it it say? Unto him be glory where? In the church by Christ Jesus. Here's what's astounding, folks. We're talking about the glory of God, so we bring you here. This is about God's honor and God's glory. And someone sat down and wrote a song about his honor and glory. And then someone paid for a hymn book and provided just the work that went into these hymns and these hymn books to get them to you. And then the pianist and the song director, everything that was done to put you right here at this moment. And you can't do it. I'm tired, and I know this song, 
And at the end of the day, I can't believe it's Sunday. I wish it were Sunday afternoon. <laughs> this flesh struggles with the glory of God. And you know what church is for? To get you to come and move past your selfishness and say, I want to focus at least an hour, at least an hour of my week on the glory of God. I want to praise his name and I want to serve someone else and I want to get beyond myself and love another Christian brother and my flesh is so pathetic, but possibly for a couple hours today I can put my flesh in the garbage can and rise above and honor God. God help us. And if we don't understand the purpose of the church, let me ask you this this morning. And this crowd is a pastor, as a shepherd, as an overseer, as a friend. I live every day of my life concerned with sheep in my congregation. Because I see sheep that were once passionate about the church. Who are only now passionate about their agenda their specific ministry, their spot, everything else and everyone else doesn't count. It's not about God's glory, it's about their agenda. Or for those who still have the spiritual character to say, I'm going to pull myself through this ritual. I'm not going to thoroughly enjoy it, but we'll pull myself through. And for others, you just see going through a detachment. They were once plugged in. They were once totally functional. But something happened in life. Maybe a frustration with someone else. Maybe they lost a friend in the church. Maybe they're just spiritually off kilter. Maybe other things have just become a whole lot higher priority. So Sunday is still my designated spot, still my designated time. It's just not my, my designated desire. God help us. God help us to, today to say, oh God, I need to reprioritize. Why is it that there's not a fire lit in my soul when it comes to church? I spend a lot of time, but it's a whole lot less now than ever before. Even growing our new Christian... Our Spanish church is totally different than our English church in its dynamic, its age, stage of life. But here's what I don't do anymore. Brother Dole, those early years when I was like the apostle Paul in the sense of a designated church planner, I used to go from place to place and house to house, babying those baby Christians, picking them up, encouraging them, struggling with them, praying for them, Making sure, when we're in Argentina, Brother Dole, for four years I had no car. And anybody that missed a service would be visited within 18 hours. Anyone. I don't do it anymore. Because I say, at the end of the day, it's got to be in you. And if the love's not there and the desire's not there, my visit, my plea, my sermon, my passion... He's not going to change you. You either have a relationship with God that connects you to his body, his church body, 
or you have a relationship with this world that has disconnected you. And God alone can change that. 